Today's guest is Denise Gruzinski, the author of Not Like the Others, Harley's Story, the first book in her series, Life Lessons from Fur Friends. Harley's story is one of unconditional love, the story of rescue and adoption, and the story of living with diabetes. A family nurse practitioner, Denise, who has a passion for rescues, also was a mom to four little humans. Her forever family through adoption started when she rescued Harley. Before I welcome Denise to the podcast, I need to update you about my family. I mentioned a few episodes ago, my mother has been diagnosed with vascular dementia. I had realized she was becoming more forgetful, but I shrugged it off because she is 89 years old, and I figured her forgetfulness was part of the aging process. Unfortunately, it is much more serious, and I am devastated for my mother. Within the past year, her primary care doctor had declared mom the picture of health. He had predicted she would live past 100 years old, and I never, ever suspected my mom might one day receive this diagnosis. I recently drove to South Carolina to spend time with my mother and to help her put a few things into place. I love my mother very much. I want her to live the happiest and most stress-free life possible. I have decided to pause my podcast for a short while. My plan is to remix earlier episodes with new introductions, but continue to interview guests. I just cannot commit right now to new episodes for the next several weeks. I am so very thankful for each person who has listened to the podcast. You have helped the podcast grow, and you have helped me grow personally. Listeners are in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and 43 countries. So thank you very, very much. I will remain active on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can follow me at Grammy Adventure. If you have not subscribed to my newsletter, please do so by clicking the link in the show notes or by texting the word Grammy to 22828 to get started. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Denise. Greetings, Denise. Welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I titled this episode, Unconditional Love, Rescues and Adopting Children from Difficult Places. Will you tell our listeners why that title is important to your family's story? Back in 2006, my first personal adoption, now animals had always been a part of my family's story, but my first animal rescue of my own was a small Yorkshire Terrier named Harley. We had many, many adventures together. I rescued him. It was already my early thirties. I was living in Miami beach at the time we moved to Rhode Island. Then we moved to California and we traveled all over the place together. And that first rescue with him was something that I can honestly say, it may sound a little bit silly to some guests, but I was still single. I was in my early thirties. And when I rescued Harley, there was a piece of me that no longer felt like I need to rush into marriage. I've got to find somebody because I want children. Cause I did, I want, I wanted children. I wanted a family, but I didn't have that pressure anymore. I was a caregiver for this animal who loved me unconditionally. And it was a, such a special relationship in 2018, Harley and I moved back to California where my parents are at. And we actually moved in with my parents in my mid thirties, bless grandparents and parents who have 
older children move back in with them, which is always a bit of a challenge. I know I always looked at it that I am still my parents' daughter. And even though I'm in my thirties, I owe them the respect of telling them where I am and when I think I'm going to be home. At that time, I met my husband. When we married, I was 36. We were both in our mid thirties and we both knew we wanted a family. And ironically, when we were dating, I had actually said, probably because I'm a nurse practitioner, I had said to him, I've never tried to have biological children. How important are biological children to you? Because I don't want to get married, be in love with you and find out that it's a deal breaker and then not be able to have children. He immediately responded with, we'll just adopt. Little did I know that on, in his family, his father and his aunts and uncles were all adopted by his grandparents, which is a lot to say, because that was much farther back in generations where adoption was not quite as prevalent. It happened, but not quite what we hear about more today. So we got married and we tried for four years to have birth children, four rounds of in vitro fertilization, which we ended up doing medical tourism in the Czech Republic. So we were in Prague for all four of those infertility treatments and none of them were successful. I, the longest I was able to carry was to seven weeks. It was difficult Um, Our family was supportive. My husband was supportive. When I used to read infertility books about infertility, none of them really seemed to resonate very much with me because I had so much support. What ended up really resonating with me later on, actually after we ended up with our adopted children was that I actually felt like my body betrayed me. It was my own feelings about my body. That was what I needed to work through and deal with. Then we went to Family Connections Christian Adoptions in California, said, okay, we're ready to really look into this. We went through parenting classes. We needed to be cleared by a counselor in part so that we had learned to deal with the any of the emotions that were behind our infertility so that we had already addressed those prior to having adopted children move into our home. As we went through those classes, we decided that we wanted a sibling set. And lo and behold, in 2018, we got the phone call that there was a one, two, three, and four-year-old sibling set that we're looking for a home. That's so a lot that's to a undertake. a long story around how adoption <laughs> played into my life. Yes. Yes. It's a long story, but it's good to have the background. But wow, adopting four children, four years old and younger, that must have been a little bit of a shock. It was definitely a challenge. Um, And when you look at children from difficult places, there were a lot of advantages that they had not had even in their early years, even just around the basics of learning how to play together and share a toy. So I had four months off of work I'm very grateful we went through the agency we went through as well. We had a specialist and then we had the state social worker and our own social worker that we could call whenever something was happening. It was a lot. I will never deny the fact that it was a lot. If the children did not have a lot of early nurturing, were there physical or developmental emotional issues attached with them? They did have a birth mother who loved them. We've never met their birth mom and birth father and other siblings, one of which we still have contact with. I've got to be really careful in how I talk about them because they're going to be older. And at some point in time, they're going to be able to listen to everything I've ever had to say. They had people who loved them. They have a sister that they love that we still talk to. So they did have that type of nurturing. We didn't have connection problems with them. 
one of our children was a little more, had been slightly more neglected than other than the others. One of them, the foster family had wanted to adopt. And so had substantially more nurturing even through their foster family, because they had been in a foster family first, obviously issues kind of around all of all of those things from early on, you could see they would cuddle, we would cuddle together. We would, we used affirming words. We've learned what each one of their love languages are. We, we learned, we started to learn those pretty early on. The concept is that if you know how your family members, so if I look at my kids, I know how they experience love. I can help show them that love. And we tend to give love in the way that in our love language. So my love language is quality time. If I'm just giving a child who their love language is, so our oldest is words of affirmation, which technically does kind of all of them play into each other. But if we're not building him up and giving him those words of affirmation, he's not experiencing love in the way that he needs to experience it so that he can feel love and have his love cup filled, if you want to say it that way. Our daughter is acts of service, first one who wants to clean, do the dishes, do, and she's seven years old. Her room doesn't quite look like that. (laughs) Bella, you're welcome to hear this later on. (laughs) Um, Our six-year-old, he's definitely quality time and physical touch. He wants to be hugged. He had a hard time asking for that when they first moved in. He was two. He didn't understand what he needed. And so it took some time. His language skills were not quite developed either. So he, in addition to being really young and not having a lot of language, he really couldn't ask for what he needed. It took a lot of time to figure out. And actually our social worker helped us with that. She, she eventually said, why don't you, before the big emotions happen, just multiple times during the day, go, go over and say, you need a hug from him. And we started doing that. And can I just tell you what an amazing turnaround that was for him when he started getting what he needed before he had to ask for it. And his only way to ask for it was to throw a fit or a tantrum or whatever. And then we're still working on our, our youngest to what his love language is. But I think that that's, and there's five different love languages, but I think that's a good kind of synopsis because we've got three that have very different love languages. What you were talking about with your son, that if he didn't get what he needed and he didn't know how to express it, he got your attention the only way he knew how, and that was through throwing a temper tantrum. I learned with my children, when they needed attention, they were going to get it one way or the other. Either you actively engage with them, or they're going to throw a temper tantrum, or they're going to misbehave in some way so that they get attention from you, whether it's positive or negative, they're going to get it. So giving them positive attention throughout the day is a much more uplifting and rewarding and positive way of interacting with your kids. Are you comfortable telling us about your children now? Our oldest is eight. He, um, his name is Brent and he is a spectacular swimmer. He is excelling at swim team and doing really, really well. He has had a few additional things um, that we've had to work through with school challenges, being the oldest and having not had some of the, again, advantages like having people reading to him and and doing all of that. He was the oldest. So you can see it as he's had to kind of work his way through school and trying to figure out his way in that way that he's been behind a bit. We're finally at a place where we're able to help him catch up. 
Then our seven-year-old is Bella. So we have one girl in the group. She is absolutely beautiful inside and out. And as they all are, I'm trying to give them each each kudos in their own way. But every time I do that and other kids are around, they all are like, well, what about me? What about me? Um, And she has a heart of gold. She is the first person that will share when one of the kids is saying they want something. In fact, oftentimes we have to say, Bella, it's so sweet that you're sharing, but can you hold back a minute while we work through them asking for it nicely and respectfully? (laughs) Because she'll just hand over whatever it is they're throwing a tantrum because they want. And we're like, no, we need to have, use our words use respect, use kind words, and always looking out for other people and what she can do for them. And then Brady is our six-year-old. He is so sweet and kind, and he's the one who wants the physical touch and the, and the time. And he is just our hugger. He's my, he's a cuddler, just sweet. So, 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 so sweet. Brian is the youngest. We've been saying all along, he's going to be our football player. He is incredibly resilient has a smile with dimples that his school pictures came back from his preschool. And I'm like, that kid looks like he could be a model. He just, with his little grin and his dimples, just the cutest and sweetest. And they're all incredibly good swimmers. They had, none of them had really had any sports or athletic type exposure before. Um, But we had a pool. And so it was really important to us that they quickly learned how to swim. And actually three of them are in swim team. And then Brian has a friend in his beginner's class. He is not a beginner swimmer. They keep telling him he needs to move up, but he doesn't want to leave his little friend in his swim class. So we cannot get him to move up to the next level yet. (laughs) I noticed the trend there with B names in our family. We have three of us have the exact same initials C, A, and B. Are there middle names, different letters? How do you handle the initials. You're going to laugh at this because all of their names got changed at adoption. So we changed them all to bees. That process was interesting too. When we first initiated the conversation with them about their names, I mean, they were obviously pretty young anyway, but we initially instigated the conversation and they all wanted that. All the boys wanted daddy, daddy's middle name of Ray. So we just said, okay, you guys can all have the same middle name. That's fine. And then Bella wanted her name Bella. And then she also wanted my middle name, which my middle name is Marie. My mother's name is Anna Mary with an aunt, great aunt that was Marie. So it's in my family line. And then my husband's mother. So their Oma, her middle name is Marie that gets to be passed down now through Bella. And then when it came time to do the name change, none of the boys had wanted the names we had chosen. If we, if infertility had worked was Bella and Brady and but none of the boys wanted the name Brady. And so we just kept asking, kept finding out if they wanted it. They said, no. So the last day that we had, well, I guess it was the last week prior because they get new birth certificates at adoption. We only had a finite amount of time then at the end, both social workers were sitting in the house and they said, well, we know you liked the name Brady. Don't you want to have one of the boys have it? And I, we said, well, look, we went up to Brady. We went up to Brent. We went up to Brian and said, do any of you want this name? And they all said no and sat back down at the table. And the social workers looked at us and said, look, it is incredibly admirable that you guys are giving these young children who have never had the chance to make choices for themselves, the opportunity to make these choices. But if you want to change a name, 
90% of adoptions, and I don't know if that's an actual percentage, that's the percentage they gave us at the time. I don't know scientifically wise, but they said 90% of adopted children actually asked to have their adoptive parents change their name because they want them to have chosen a name for them. We went ahead and changed Brady then to Brady. So he's the third child. And sure enough, within 24 hours, the oldest started saying, well, I want you to choose a name for me. So I want to be Brady. And we're like, well, this doesn't work quite like the middle name of Ray. You can't just take the same name. We can't have everybody's name be the same. We're going to have to come up with a different one. And then we also came up with another one for, for Brian. Actually, I had a patient say, what are you going to tell the youngest why you didn't choose them, them a name? And so we worked through that process and gave him a new name too. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. And do they like their names now? They do. And it was kind of funny because again, Brady didn't necessarily, he had said he didn't want the name. And so we were really not sure how that transition would go, but within 24 hours, he would scream at you and yell at you. If you called him his birth name, instead of his, uh, instead of the adopted name, he liked Brady enough. That's what he wanted to be called. Oh, what a sweet now we story. have all of their, all of their birth names. We still have them. It's part of their story. We make it really clear. We're not erasing that part of their story. And actually I've asked their older sister that we do have contact with and we have visitation and see when she's ready to do it. I would love her to write each of them, how their birth names came about, how their birth names were chosen. I think family stories are so important to pass down and your children certainly have interesting stories. And I'm glad you're looking at helping them capture that for when they're older, they have that heritage, that lineage of who they are. How accepting is your mother? How accepting is your mother-in-law of having this ready-made family? We are so blessed in the fact that our families were supportive of this from the get-go. While we did the adoption classes, we were doing them on the, in the central coast of California and my husband's family is from Oregon and my family lives in Northern California. And there was a weekend of class where they said, you know, if your families are interested, bring your families. We ended up spending an entire weekend on the central coast in California, his mother and stepfather. So Oma and Opa and my mom and dad. So Nana and Papa, we all came down. We didn't have the kids yet. We all came down, rented a house in the central coast and went to these classes about having children from difficult places. We bought each of them the book, called the connected child, because that was also being used in our classes. And we really liked the philosophy about raising kids from tough places and how that was going to look and just brought us all onto the same page before we'd ever even met the children. I would imagine holidays at your house are really, really fun. They are. It's a blast. It is getting to see holidays through children's eyes. You, you know that, but you know, it was new to us. And my parents didn't have any other grandchildren before we adopted these four. So these are their first grandkids and they just, it's so much fun. It's so much fun to share holidays with kids and see it through their eyes. You mentioned that you are an author. Tell us about your career and the books that you've written. In 2006, I was living in Miami beach and I adopted Harley. I think I mentioned that at the beginning And in 2010, Harley got diagnosed with diabetes. He lived for many years with diabetes. It's a very manageable condition for animals. And I remember when he was diagnosed, the vet, I was crying because I wasn't sure what it meant for an animal. I had called the vet and said, I'm a nurse practitioner for humans. 
in a, in a human peeing more often, drinking more water and having, well, not necessarily having accidents, but peeing more often and drinking more water and being more hungry. Those are all signs that we need to look for diabetes in a human. What is it for a dog? Cause I've noticed it in Harley. And he said, diabetes, bring him in. So I did. And his blood sugar was over 400. This was just before I got married. Animals blood sugars are supposed to run somewhat like humans with that average of being 70 to 130 fasting. You tend to run an animal a little bit on the higher end of that range, just because it's very, they can't really tell you when they're having symptoms, a lot like a small child with juvenile diabetes might have a hard time telling you how they're feeling so that you know, when their sugars go low, the new glucose continuous glucose monitors have, have really been a huge thing for parents with children with diabetes, but so over 400 was well over the 130 that he should have been. So he's, we changed his diet, um, started insulin shots twice a day, all of these things that we did. But I remember thinking, I don't ever want another parent, pet parent. The vet had also said that oftentimes when the dog or cat or whoever is, or whatever animal is brought in, it's oftentimes too late because the symptoms were not recognized and they're an organ failure already. I remember thinking it then. And then when I, when Harley passed away and it wasn't the diabetes that actually took him, he was a small dog and he ended up septic. Oh, I'm so sorry. Same time. Thank you. And it was really, really hard. This was, you know, this had been my dog when I was single. He had been with me when I was, when we were married, it it, it essentially been my kid. And my mom said, you used to love to write. So why don't you write? And so I thought about it and thought about it. And one morning I had his story and I was like, I know what, I know kind of what I want his story to say. So I woke up that morning and, and wrote his story of being rescued, being afraid he was going to be given up for, he was going to be given back to the shelter. Then finding out he had diabetes and again, being afraid he was going to be given up, but finding out, learning what unconditional love was. So that's Harley's story. That's the initial Harley story book um, in a lessons from fur friends series that I am working on. There is a correlation there between your adopted children and adopting Harley. And it was, that was a surprise to me. It's so it's, it was, that was one of those really fun surprises because here I had thought all along about how Harley contribute, you know, for kids with diabetes and how they would feel. I didn't ever want them to feel alone. I wanted pet owners to be able to recognize the symptoms of diabetes. Those were all the things I was initially thinking when I, when I wrote the book. And then when our four kids moved in, I actually have a picture of it. Harley's story was one of their favorite books and they would pull it off the shelf all the time. And it suddenly occurred to me that adoption was such a big theme in it too. And being afraid that this might not be your forever home and learning what unconditional love was. It was just, it was a side thing I had never expected, but was a pleasant surprise. I'm sure that resonated with the kids because they'd been in first their, their birth mother's home and then in at least one foster home. So I can see how that would make them feel comfortable. And that's, that's one of the whole things about children's books is you want children to be able to see themselves in books, as well as develop empathy for the characters that are in this book. So even though we're talking humans and dogs, I would imagine that they saw that parallel. Yes, 
that it's definitely, I mean, at four years old, it was probably something that we kind of helped him be able to see or any of the younger ones. But when I would go to a juvenile diabetes uh, fundraiser and I had the book, how many kids pick up the book and went, I didn't know a dog can have the same thing I do. Really? There's animals that can have that. Um, And in the book, Harley meets other animals. He meets um, a cat that has asthma. I have a friend that had a cat gets albuterol treatments from an asthma inhaler using this, actually the same method that you would use to give a child a dose of albuterol. And then he meets a three-legged dog and he meets a dog who's blind and deaf. So he meets other animals that also um, have health challenges. It's a really interesting concept in your book. I, I really like that a lot. In your series, have you written another book besides Harley? Is there another edition that's available for sale? Not yet. I have a stack. The kids moved in, unfortunately, in the midst of all of this, but I do, (laughs) I I already actually, I have the next two books in my brain. Now, first of all, I realized very early on when I didn't write right away that I was going to have to have Harley pass because kids ask about Harley all the time. So my next book is actually for kids in grief. Oh, okay. Um, And it's, in life lessons from fur friends is the, is the series. That's what I titled the series. So in the next book, um, I'll use the next two dogs in our lives to talk about Harley and the rainbow bridge. I don't know if you've ever heard the rainbow bridge poem. Oh yes, definitely. Kind of using that concept of the rainbow bridge to talk to kids about grief and processing that through talking about to kids about grief. Um, and then I want to do one and prior to all of the things that have transpired, because again, this was in the first couple of years after I wrote the first book, I already knew I wanted to write one about inclusionary being inclusionary. So I want to write a book about um, unusual animal friendships and all of that where, because, you know, there are animals that are friends with animals that are completely uh, the easy one is the dog and cat, right? Like not every dog <laughs> is comfortable with cats and vice versa. So that's an easy one that will obviously be there. Um, but then, you know, when you hear stories about a sheep and a, and a goose that are friends and that are inseparable, you know, you hear these all the time. I, I just, I can't remember what they were, but it was so unusual. There was a combination of animal. There was a two animals that needed to be rescued And I can't remember if it was like a tiny pony and a pig, but it was some like really interesting combination. And they're like, we can't separate them. They have to be adopted out together. I want to write a book about that. I've seen those stories on Facebook and they're so endearing. And I've often thought, wow, this would make a good story. So good. I'm glad you're writing those. Is there anything else you want listeners and and grandparents to know about taking care of animals that have special needs, welcoming children, adopted children into the family. I know some grandparents have trouble with that. And I'm so glad your family didn't experience that. Well, I think it's important um, on a couple of levels, especially with adoption to remember that there was a story before they came to you, whether that's an animal or that's a child, that was something that was I felt like it was an aha thing through our classes. So oftentimes, and actually one of my friends who's, who's adopted told me this, she said, I have amazing, I have an amazing family. My adoptive family, she was adopted at birth. They're incredible, but you still grow up knowing that there's a piece of yourself that's missing to not ignore that piece of them and to give them an open space where they can talk 
about their birth parents or questions they might have, because that's going to come up no matter at what age they're adopted, even when it's from birth and to give them that open space. You want that for your birth children, right? As well. You want to create an environment where hopefully your children can, can talk to you. So we do at the dinner table every night, we do what was our most challenging thing of the day, what we did to overcome it and what our favorite thing was of the day. And anybody that's there for dinner, whether it's grandparents or not, we all participate. Um, mom and dad do it. Parents, Oma, Nana and Papa were just here for a couple of weeks. Oma gets here on Wednesday to visit as well. So keeping those open lines, those lines open. And when our kids start talking about their birth family, we're very, very careful to not cut off that conversation and to let them explore it. Even if it's something that they're talking about that we're not sure whether or not it actually happened or not, giving them the opportunity to talk about what their memories are and what, what they, what they think was happening. Open, that's a long way again around open communication and making sure you, you still, you don't, take away that piece of them that is still there. Every adoption story starts with a loss. Oh, I never thought about it that way, but, but you're right. And so there is a grieving process, even though they're in a happy, nurturing, loving situation, you're right. They're still dealing with a loss and maybe a couple of losses if they've bonded with their foster family. That's right. That's correct. People who aren't animal people don't oftentimes like comparison with animals and kids, but it's the same with rescue. Cause I'm very passionate about rescue and especially rescuing animals with special needs. Cause they're harder. They're more difficult to, to, re- to get adopted, but knowing, you know, you knowing that that's something that you have to work through with an adopted animal as well, you're going to possibly see some behaviors that you're going to need to work through because you don't know what their previous story was. You don't know what they came from. And I, I always think, well, at least with my adopted children, we do have some background about what, what transpired before they came to us so that we have some knowledge, but with a rescued animal, you don't oftentimes have any of that knowledge. We have two rescue dogs. The one is a Llewellyn setter. And when we went to see him and to pick him up, the person had him on medication, the the foster family that we actually got him from, had him on some medication because his stools were real loose and watery. And she says, I've been giving him this and it helps. Well, within a week, I noticed that he no longer needed that medication. He had bonded with us. And I really believe when he realized that he had a safe forever home, that dog no longer had the intestinal issues that he did before. And he literally follows me every place as does the other one too. They're right now sleeping at my feet as I record this. And fortunately, uh, there've been no outside interference to get them to bark because in some episodes, you will hear them barking. I think animals have emotions and he's a loving dog, but if you walk up and scare him or corner him, even unintentionally, like if he's in the corner of the kitchen and you come up on him too fast, he definitely has a negative reaction. He is afraid. And I often wonder what happened to him before we got him that made him like that. But Otherwise, he's just a very loving, gentle, glue to my hip kind of dog. And I just love them both to pieces. I love that story. And it does. It really, he was blessed to be in a loving family as well, that 
you know, you recognize where his, where his little quirks are at and we work around them it, or, and you learn that, you know, about the animals. So I love that they found the fam, that family in you. We live out on a farm. When we first got them, my husband put up a temporary kind of a fence so that we could let them out the back door and know that they weren't going to roam pretty much. Well, <laughs> the, the Llewellyn setter, he quickly learned that he could dig under this fence and go wherever oh. he wanted. And then of course the terrier just followed right behind. So we we reinforced the fence. We did a lot of things to keep them in, but they always managed to get out. What was interesting is neither one of those dogs ever have run off. They stay between our house and our barn and my husband's workshop. We don't leave them outside when we go anyplace, but during the day I can let them out and know that they're not going to run off. And I think Again, they they know that this is their home. So why do they even need to leave? Denise, tell our audience how they can find your book and the title of your book and then how they can get a hold of you. I am most frequently on my Instagram and Facebook pages where it's Denise Grzynski on both. Denise underscore Grzynski on Instagram, Denise Grzynski on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. I do have my blog, denisegrzynski.com, which as you were recently experienced is not very well maintained at the moment. <laughs> I can't imagine so, why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whenever I can, I like to get back on there, but it just hasn't happened very much. The book is available on Amazon. Um, I will let everyone know there because there's two editions of it. I put out a second edition last year. It's not like the others Harley story. And you want to look for the one that's life lessons from fur friends series is what's written next to it. You can put my name in Denise Grzynski again, and you can find it that way, but it's going to have a little yellow dot in the right hand upper corner of the book next to Harley that says life lessons from fur friends for the series. And that's the book that you want. It's the most updated version. Well, thank you. I forgot to ask you, what are your children's reactions to your being an author and the book about Harley? They love it. I think they're well, they're at an age right now where they'll enjoy it more as COVID opens things back up again. And I can go back into schools because they moved in with us and COVID came very quickly thereafter. Within the next year, we were in COVID. Brent had started uh, kindergarten. And the good news is we had somebody that could do preschool with them at home, but we had kept everything at home and then COVID happened. And then we were really all at home. So I think it'll be interesting to see, hopefully right now when they still want me to come to their schools, <laughs> I'll be able to get back in their schools again. Cause I know that that is a short-lived thing. You go straight from mommy, I want you to come have lunch with me to mommy. You're so embarrassing. Right. So, <laughs> I love this right now. They beg me to come to school and I actually can't go as much that we get to surprise. Um, my oldest is getting two awards at school this week um, for reading and math, which are huge things for him. And we're going to be able to, my husband and myself and their Oma are going to be able to go and surprise him. He doesn't know he's getting the awards. So it's really exciting. We're going to all get to go surprise him for his awards. And it's so fun to be wanted. So shout out to Brent for his awards for reading and math. Congratulations, Brent. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, 
please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com. <laughs>